Hello and welcome to Politics in the Pulpit, electronically based preaching resource designed to connect the controversial questions of how and whether we bring politics into our preaching each week. And in each week, I'm joined by a guest from a different place or space on the political platform. And I'm delighted this week to introduce the Reverend Andy Fitchett, Baptist minister and authorised Methodist presbyter. So you are absolutely ecumenical, Andy. Very much so. Yep. <laughs> Welcome. the amount of water. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Politics in the Pulpit. You. Um, you are, in fact, quite political in a perhaps a big P sense of the word. A lot of people have talked about being political with a small P. And Andy, I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about politics and you and what politics in the pulpit might mean for you. Yeah, certainly. So you're right. Uh, I am quite political. I was a local councillor for nine and a half years. I am chair of my constituency Labour Party. I have stood in every election locally since 2010 um, and stood for Parliament whilst being Baptist Minister in the same constituency uh, in 2017. So yes, and I led the charge for the Remain camp in my local area as well. So yes, fairly politically, party politically active, as well as being politically active. So how does that work as a preacher? Um, as a minister in particular, I suppose, but as a preacher, how does, how does that work? Does, is there tension there? Sometimes, <clears throat> sometimes. Um, I've heard lots of people say things like, you, know, you can't be party political in, in your preaching. And I, and I would agree with that. I think that's probably new. You can't in your sermon say, oh, and make, make sure you vote for X, Y, and Z. Um, of course, that happens in certain parts of the world in the church. And I don't think that's a very good good thing to do. I, I, I am quite jokey uh, in, uh, in general. And so at the end of a sermon, particularly if I'm standing in the election on the Thursday coming, I'll, I'll say, you know, don't forget to go and vote and make sure you vote for me. And if you don't, don't come back next week. Um, but they, they know that I'm joking. They know that I'm uh, being a bit facetious, a bit tongue in cheek. Um, and uh, But I think actually when you are talking about justice issues, you are implicitly encouraging people to vote a particular way. You are, you know, if you're talking about things like asylum legislation, if you're talking about homelessness, if you're talking about drug and alcohol abuse, if you're talking about those on the margins, and saying that what's going on is not good enough, then you're implicitly saying, don't vote for the same people who are putting these policies in place, because we think they're, they're not great. They're not kingdom values, they're not kingdom policies. So I, I suppose I'm just a bit more upfront. I'm not saying that there are people being secretive, I don't mean that in that way, but I'm just a bit more explicit and saying, this is not good, we need to have something better. Mm. And I come from a kind of leftist position on what I think is better and others will disagree with me which is fine. So how does that work? I'm fascinated. Um, do, do you have people who, who have very different political ideologies to you in, in your church congregations who um, who debate that with you? Or how, how do they feel, you know, how does that how does that actually work? Or do you find that you, you end up being a minister of what I might describe as a, a kind of less, a leftist church? Like, would you, would you end up with a kind of a congregation that looks like you politically and ideologically or do you is there a way of creating space and good dialogue with oh, you? gosh i wish the church looked like me that would be lovely <laughs> um, that would be a lot less tense. oh actually it wouldn't be it'd be much more tense i imagine um jogging with myself instead of other people no I, I generally um in the area which i live uh, i have I, i've stood in eight elections and i've lost six um the area in which i live hasn't had a labor councillor on the borough council since 
1983. Um, uh, and so that gives you an indication of which way it votes and the church is part of uh, this society. And so I have quite a lot of people who I would fundamentally disagree with on, on political, uh, political issues. But I still love them. And I still care for them. And they're still created in the image of God. Um, I think it's really healthy to be able to have a good debate with somebody on a particular issue, whether it be political or theological. And actually, I find the, the political conversations much easier because they're slightly more detached in the church mm -hmm. than the theological issues. Because if you're, if you're having theological debates, that's about the God you worship. And that's about your perception of God, which is much more important in kind of Christian terms often than what how you think people should be dealt with if they arrive on a boat um and uh, and and so i think it's really good to be able to model having a vastly different view but still loving them and caring for them because we've lost that we've lost that respect i've seen it over the last 10 years of standing in elections particularly online it's hideous like, i've studied for local council wanting better parking permits and and the abuse that you get you think i'm not calling for you know, us to see to, to secede the union and become, you know, Hampshire, Hampshire as a country. I'm asking for permanent, for better parking. Why are you being so vitriolic? So, I generally think the church has a has something to model in how you disagree well. Which, when you've got a minister who is also a councillor, and if I'm honest, I think most of my congregation just think, oh, well, here he here he goes again. <laughs> He's off on one again, <laughs> and they're going to pat me on the head and, and let me go. <laughs> Brilliant. Is there, um, I mean, you've, you've mentioned parking permits there, but is there a particular issue or uh, agenda or something that you'd want us to hear from your context? Yeah, I think one of the big things which stood out in this election more than more than, than previous elections, particularly because we haven't been able to get on the doors, we haven't been able to knock on people's doors and you know, big global pandemic and all that, um, is, is the amount of people who are shut off from engaging with politics um, or engaging with wider society. And a lot of that is because of the move to go online, which is great. And you know, we, we wouldn't be able to do this, what we're doing now without that, that technology. And it's brilliant. But so many people haven't got it. And we've seen in churches, haven't we? You know, probably you get 60% of your church are gonna be online, maybe 70%, but a good chunk will not have that, that ability to, to get on. And so when everything moves online and like, you know, like that, I'd say about parking permits. Well, when you have people phoning up in, in tears in their 80s because they've got another parking fine because the council won't give them a, a physical parking permit because it's all on an app, but they don't have a smartphone and the council refuse to do something about that. It just makes you go, what? why? What? What is the achievement? What are you getting out of this? It can't be that much more expensive to give someone something, but the stress that is causing that individual. And so those little things, I think, I, th I think it's, it, that, that's the challenge, isn't it? It's trying to make our political life, as well as our church and theological life, as accessible as possible. Mm. Mm. Yeah, there's a language for it, and we might yeah. pick that up a little bit as we go. Um, so each, each week I um, I ask my JPIC colleagues, um, from their public issues expertise, what, what would they like their preachers to be hearing and thinking about and reflecting on as they're going into their um, sermon preparation? And so um, there's there's quite a few things in the news. Um, obviously, there's the ongoing tensions in Israel and Palestine, um, failure to come to um, any peaceful solution around that. And then th with that, an increased anti-Semitism and, and Islamophobia, actually, in, in the UK and, and just aware that that's um, both 
challenging there and then um, having a knock-on effect here. Um, continuing concerns um, around the spread of the um, Indian, variant of Indian, variant of Indian variant of COVID, I can get that out as a sentence, um, whilst um, the restrictions are starting to lift and, um, and it really adding to the case that our church leaders have been making around um, the people's vaccine and, and kind of pushing that particular equality agenda that we've been about. Um, uh, obviously, um, in Glasgow, we, we record these on a Monday. And um, we've just watched over over the weekend Glasgow having it a particularly um, interesting moment, um, uh, set of moments. But the one that I think we're picking up on is the really positive image of what it is to welcome the stranger as that community sat in and um, made sure that immigration enforcement uh, couldn't go in the way that it was happening at Eid in a particularly negative and vile way. Um, uh, and then also... Um, also in Glasgow, it's going to be COP26 in, in under six months now. It's, it's, it's looming very fast and the Pope has just announced that he will be attending. So that is huge news about church and politics. Um, and then it's um, general assembly time for quite a few of the um, joint public issues team churches. Um, and um, and for, for, for us, uh, Church of Scotland partners, um, it's interesting that their um, general assembly involves... Um, then welcoming the new moderator, who is Lord Jim Wallace of Tankinus, and the Lord High Commissioner, who's the Queen's representative to um, the General Assembly um, and the Church of Scotland, I believe. Um, and I'm about to show my lack of ecumenical expertise there. So, any Church of Scotland people, I've just got this wrong for. But that happens to be the Earl of um, Earl of Streeth. Streatham, and you're going to correct this because you're actually Scottish, Andy. So oh, you can tell me how to pronounce that. Um, I actually lived for five years in Scotland, and I just failed to get that right. Um, uh, and that's uh, Prince William. So, in terms of church and politics, quite yeah. quite politically churchy at the moment. Um, the other thing I'd really flag to our um, colleagues um, at the moment, anybody listening who's who interested in church and politics, is to say that Linda Woodhead is going to be on um, the cab is going to be giving the Cabri lectures on how personal values are the new religion and um, they're going to be coming out over the next four weeks I think and um, so I'd really recommend people go and find those and listen to those because that'll be well worth their listen. I've got a bit of an echo on my on my microphone so I'm hoping that people can um, still hear is okay. I thought you just had the influx of mice. <laughs> I think we do. It's, very old, it's very old vicarage you're in so it wouldn't surprise me. Anybody who's listening online right now and I can't see that this is this is a bit of a quirky old cottage and um yes <laughs> there are in fact often months. <laughs> um so um so with our um with our looking at our politics on the one hand, we're gonna to turn to our, our scripture and not on the other hand, but in in complementary dialogue. And so we're going to find that our readings this week um are all around the theme of Pentecost. Um so we've got Acts 2, um, 1 to 21, and that story. We've got Romans 8 picking up on the theme of the Spirit. Um, we've got John 15, um, which is the advocate um, coming to be with us. So um, I, I wonder, Andy, um, you've had a little chance to look at these and, and think about them. And I wonder if there's a theme or a particular text that you'd be picking up and reflecting on. Yeah, so of course it's it's Pentecost. For for us, it's really exciting because this is the first Sunday we're going to be back in having gathered worship. 
um, since Christmas. So this is the first time we're going to be seeing each other, um, which which is all over the last few weeks has felt like kind of building up from Easter to Pentecost, um, which I think is the idea generally in church, but we don't do that, do, that, do we? It's, it just kind of flows into one and every Sunday happens. But there's been a real focus on this kind of building up towards the birth of the church. Um, and and this is for us the, the start of that again. So it's really interesting. The Old Testament reading is for, for us is, is, is Ezekiel 37, may the dry bones live. Um, and so this idea of breathing new life into what was before, but it's still going to be different, which I think is a space lots of churches are are currently in um so i'm gonna be i'll be focusing on acts on acts 2 and on the story of pentecost um as i was looking through the years of um of, of the lectionary i was trying to see whether or not the last bit of acts 2 which i think is the most political bit in the 42 to 44 uh, is in there but it's not it's nowhere to be found in the lectionary anywhere in the year which is i think is quite interesting um so i'd probably want to stretch it out and have the whole of acts 2 being read and go look, there's a better way of doing life than, than the way we're doing it now. Um, but yeah, so we're focusing on, on Acts 2 and, and, on, and on the Pentecost story. And you know, not just in this kind of big event that happens, but looking at the beginning of the story where we've got these disciples who are huddled together, worried, wondering, trying to figure out life, what is next, um, without seeming a clue what to do and just waiting and hoping that at some point something will happen. Yeah, basically quite a lot of faith in summary there, really, isn't it? <laughs> What's going to happen next? Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. is what we spent our entire year doing, isn't it? The last, what is happening? I don't really know. I don't get it. I'm a bit worried. I'm a bit scared. It will all pan out in the end, right? <laughs> I feel like um, I often look at the readings and sometimes there's one obvious one that's got a kind of real social dimension to it or justice dimension or political dimension to it and and literally all of these I feel like I could have I could have done a whole podcast on one of them and um and I think with um with acts especially I, I think just the sheer um the sheer language I mean that just you, it makes this point doesn't it who is gathered who is gathered in this um every nation under heaven and you know and it, and it lists a load of the nations so I mean, not it's not quite every nation but there's a lot there um and um it's always one of those that people really don't want to read get through those ones everything's fine <laughs> just say it with confidence people yep. um but here we've got these um we've got this huge list of of nations and and, and tongues that um, uh, and Willie James Jennings calls it first a miracle of, of hearing, not a miracle of speaking. And I'm aware that echo is back, so it might be a miracle of hearing us this time. Um, but I think um, there's something, isn't there, about this kind of um, there's there's this echo of Babel in there of of, of suddenly um, here is a group of people who who can talk to each other who who share a language they've got they can have a conversation we know it because they're having a conversation halfway through about yeah. what's going on here um so they ask you know they you know, um are not all of these who are speaking galileans that means they can listen and understand each other so if if so then actually there's um they've probably got a shared language of the marketplace because that's where they are they're kind of speaking koine greek they've got this you know they're speaking the kind of colonialized language if you like and here is this kind of subverted subversive spirit coming and saying 
I mean, you can all understand if we use this language. Um, you also all Jews and you have a common story. So you may also understand if you use this language, but I'm going to speak to you in your mother tongue, in your native local language and dialect. Um, and and it's even more interesting because Galileans are obviously mocked for their accents. So you've got this kind of mocked group for their accents and suddenly being heard in, in everybody's separate own home native language. And I think that's such an interesting thing to start thinking about as we're preaching, even the act of preaching. Are we speaking in the language of our local community? How would we do that? Are we doing that? You know, um, it sort of suggests something even about our own our own act of, of being in the pulpit this week, never mind um, what, what this might mean politically as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I remember being told once, I, I don't speak any other languages fluently. Um, I don't, don't think my German gets better after a few beers, but I think that's probably just in my own head rather than the reality. Um, but I was always told if you speak to someone in their second language, you speak to their head. You speak to someone in their mother tongue, you speak to their heart. And it, and it almost feels a bit like that's what's going on here. And this is not speaking in tongues as a kind of this kind of gift of speaking in the heavenly languages, which is quite big in certain parts of the church, which is what I was taught that this was when I was growing up in, in church. That this was a miracle of speaking in different heavenly languages. And you read it and you go, actually, no, this is about, this is kind of Vatican II. This is about speaking in the vernacular. This is about making the, the mysteries of God accessible to everybody speaking to their heart, not just to their to their formal, to their head. Um, and I love what you said about there, about not having it as the colonialised language. You know, this is, you know, Greek then was what English is today. You go around the world, people are probably going to speak it. Um, but this is about saying, no, no, God's not interested so much in you learning something new in order to fit. God's saying it's, this is accessible to all people and, and trying to make people understand quite complicated and perhaps confusing things by using language people understand is going gonna, is gonna to aid that no end, particularly, of course, leading into to next week into Trinity Sunday, which I'm not going to talk about. But when we talk about making confusing concepts accessible to people, there's a really good, really good example. And I think from a, from a kind of politics and a political uh, uh, viewpoint, you know, what we saw in 2016 was incredibly complicated negotiations and incredibly complicated ideas being boiled down into three-word sentences. Mm. And then the, the, the trick or the difficulty was trying to say, no, actually, it's much more complicated than that, and explain the complexity, but, you know, no, no, I, I want to take my control, which is fine. You can want to do that. That's okay. But you need to explain why. <laughs> And, and so here we've got these incredibly complicated things, these incredibly complicated uh, scenes that are going on, but everyone understands them. Mm. Everyone gets it because it's accessible to them. And I think that's really important for both politicians and for preachers to take what is something complicated and not to make it simplistic, but to make it simply understandable, which is really important in, in life, I think. And maybe um, one of those things about being understandable is also who is doing the preaching because it's, it's interesting that um you know here suddenly Joel's quoted and and it's about the fact that um you know it's the daughters as well as the sons who will prophesy it's the young as well as the old it's um the slaves and actually the, the point is here that actually um those with the power 
to do this prophesying, to do this preaching, to do this something different is is in the underside. Actually, it's not it's not it's not the people who who always did have the power. They're there too, sure. But like, you know, this is the radical new dimension of the spirit that that the spirit is at work in the people that maybe social structures and power structures have dismissed and said, yeah. no, this is these are the people who who can who can preach this, who can who, who can do this. And uh, there's a, a Baptist um, the, theologian called McClendon um, who talks about the idea of um, this uh, this bit of scripture being the hermeneutic of of scripture. Like this is this is um, you know by by using Joel in this way, we're watching scripture use scripture as as it should be used. You know the kind of this is that. You know this this is what the church is meant to be, and we're meant to do the same thing as preachers and say this is that. Right, we're we're standing in the same judgment, we're in the same place of the same experience of the spirit, and saying this is that now. Right, we're we're kind of, and so is it that on Sunday the person who is preaching in your church or the person who is praying or the person who's reading or the person who's prophesying in some way, whatever that looks like for your local church's expression, is um is actually inclusive of of those of those voices that what 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 would be the equivalent now to being um to being female? Well maybe still being female. Um yeah. you know what would be the equivalent to being a slave? Well maybe you know people who've experienced modern day slavery actually. Um you know actually and and the, not to mention the huge racial inequality that is still permeated by slavery um today you know? so actually i think kind of what i kind of want to say is who is preaching because <laughs> actually i think there's i think there's there's something about the what we are doing as well as what we are saying this week that is really challenged in, like these readings really challenge us in and, and pentecost is really asking us you know where is the spirit of work in your church and therefore whose voice are you meant to be listening to um, and how do we raise that voice up and give it a space? Because this yeah, is absolutely. yeah, and this is the community preaching, isn't it? This is not so one person standing up and saying this is are the, are these people not Galileans that we're hearing from the community, mm. which from a Baptist perspective is ideally what we want to want to be to be doing. Um, and interestingly, you said about 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 the the spirit being poured out on all people, and you saw that in in the beginning of the chapter. Now Luke firmly places this story within Judaism and repeatedly places it firmly within the establishment, the established religion. But it's a, it's a kind of a, a subversive change to, to, to what's gone before. So you, you saw you know, 120 people, the number 120 with the, with the women including, included, including of course, um, Mary, the mother of Jesus. You know, Jewish law, 120 men needed to form a synagogue and a council, well now 120 people are here. This is this, this very subtle but really radical opening up and, and, and enlarging of the tent, but it's still happening firmly within the tradition. You know, Luke's, Luke is really wanting to say, this is legit, this is okay, this is what's going on, is firmly in the tradition, but the system needs to change. And I think there's something prophetic in that, which is working within the system as much as possible to, to change it from, from the inside out and from the kind of bottom up. I'm not very good at that. I tend to lean more towards a curse on all your houses, burn the thing to the ground and start again, <laughs> which is a place for that, I think. It's a place for throwing tables and whipping people. I read that somewhere. But, but, but systematic change here comes from within the community. And actually, we see the outcome, don't we? This, is a, this took over 
the, the empire eventually we can have a very long discussion about the merits of, of christianity within the roman empire but this was not about saying right we're going to scrap everything else it's about saying we're, we're going to take what is good mm. and we're going to reveal something of god which is better but still firm it and anchor it in something and i think um i think what is interesting uh that you've said about the um the kind of the the tradition and and how it's expanded is that jesus is is doing this and it um you know talking about this in a time where they're in the middle of a rich of ritual right and this is happening around him where there's this conversation about looking forward to the pouring out of the spirit so in in the so in the gospel we've got this conversation that's going on that's saying like this but yeah. but you're the temple now yeah. and and actually what's so what's happening is is shifting it's, it's the same but but different mm-hmm. and um and it's interesting that there the holy spirit is um is referred to um as the advocate in our translation but parakletos is this really legal term you know this, yeah. is, a, this yeah. is a term that is about somebody who defends someone yeah. Yeah. yeah and 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 the spirit will prove right prove and that's a word that's also kind of like you know about accuse, examine, and testing, exposing, rebuking, refuting, um, despising, maybe um, putting to shame. You know, there's there's something. Yeah, this is a huge word, uh, a huge word. And 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 um, I think there was a phrase in one of the commentaries I read that said the spirit will evaluate the world um, as its way of saying, you know, what's the spirit yeah. going to be doing? It's going to be evaluating the world. I thought it was a really fantastic. Um, a fantastic phrase it's kind of this idea of it's, it's kind of put into this kind of very legal context and i think you know if we think about the spirit we don't tend to think of the spirit as a lawyer um but no, there is no, there, feeling, right? <laughs> but then there's um and and appropriately considering um what's going on at the moment in in jerusalem um the uh the 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 book I, I keep referring to because I think it's I think it's just a tiny gem of a, of a, a little commentary which was um, reading the Gospel of John through Palestinian eyes by Katanak. Um, they say um, love is not an excuse to abandon justice, but an opportunity to pursue it. And I just thought yeah. fabulous that the idea the kind of you know we can we can sometimes make the Holy Spirit this kind of fuzzy, lovely feeling, but here is you know, the spirit calling us into this kind of pursuit of justice that might look like legal, like kind of something legal, yeah. actually. This is legal change and evaluating the world and, and kind of challenging it. So so I was really struck by um, by that. And um, yeah, um, was kind of yeah. building yeah. on what you were saying there. Absolutely. I mean, I, I'll avoid talking about the Holy Spirit as the you know, former director of public prosecutions, because that would be too Labour Party-ish. Um, but I think there is definitely a role for, for that kind of accusatory, line-by-line, lawyery assessment of something, particularly if if what you see, see going on is is covered in, in smear, mm-hmm. and, and you think, actually, this is not good enough. This, we need to do better, better than this. You know, I, I think lots of, lots of people who have been on social media have seen that, the video of the ten-year-old girl in Gaza saying, "What do you What do you expect me to do about it? I'm ten. I, I can't do anything." She's there behind a apartment block, which has been blown up, and you know, no, no one can can explain away or condone either the, the 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 rockets from Gaza or the rockets from from Israel. It's it's all hideous, um, and it's and and we need a political solution. And as and as much as as, as, I, as I pray and as much as I hope and as much as I encourage people to pray and hope and think God can do something, 
God's going to use a political solution because this is the only way that these conflicts come to come to an end. And, and that requires a compromise. It requires that advocate, that paraclete, to say, no, this is, this is what's going on. And, 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 and part of that involves the other accepting responsibility for the hurt they've caused on both sides of this argument. And, and I'm not going to try and get into the, into the argument too much because it's, you know, particularly in the church, there's lots of differing views on, on the state of, of Israel and others. But when I see if, you know, anyone who should see 10-year-olds, 10-year-old girls saying, what do you expect me to do? You want to leap in and defend? And if you don't want to leap in and, in, and defend and say, I don't know, but I'll do it with you, then I would question how close in, in step with the spirit are we when what we see in, in Acts and in Pentecost is the spirit of people to say, go on, I, I, I'm in it with you. I don't know what to do yet, but I'll come this down with you anyway. Um, and we'll work it out as we as we go along. And I think there is the spirit prophesying to the world, right? Your your, your young yeah. daughters will tell us. Yeah. And yeah. here she is. And her voice has been the voice that we've seen in, in her native language telling us, actually, what, what can I do? I can't fix this. And I'm 10, but I'm being affected. Yeah. And um, and that is is this this moment of the spirit accusing judging evaluating us as the world actually and kind of receiving the spirit as uh, you know from the other in that way yeah, yeah. absolutely i mean i was one of the things i've got written down here is my reflections um because because the and i'm not equating this with with israel it's just it's a separate point you know, when the disciples are are huddled together in this room this is for 50 days after the resurrection now, those who killed Jesus and want to put to death this Jesus movement are still out, still out at large. They've not disappeared. We kind of forget that the that the Romans are still in charge and this collusion between religion and power is is still going on throughout the whole of the Book of Acts. But it's there in the background constantly. And th- th- their life is still a threat. People want this Jesus movement to be to be quashed. And so this act of standing up and the spirit moving and them speaking the, these truths of God in local languages is an act of protest and an, and an act of saying to the powers that be, you think you've won, but actually eventually we will. Eventually we'll, you, you won't be here, but we will. We're gonna, we will overcome what's what's going on. And I, you know, when I look at what's going on in, in the UK and the idea that protests can be shut down just because they're slightly noisy, I think what's the point of protest? Like that's that's entirely the point. They're meant to be a nuisance, and I'd love to see more ministers getting arrested for being a bit of a nuisance, <laughs> for, for for standing up for issues of justice and going, "This isn't good enough." And actually, I'm going to stand here, and if you're going to take them, that's fine. You can take me as well, and the church can go up on a Sunday and try and figure out what to do because their ministers in prison for being a nuisance. <laughs> being holy trouble somebody described yeah. it um i think there's a really helpful um reflection on the that um on that bill um on the jpit website if people would like to kind of think about that and there's a bit of a thinking in there about kind of what the kind of christian uh christian thoughts about protest have been over the last um kind of 100 years or so as well so i would and, and before so i would really recommend going in and looking that up it's got some really good analysis of of what's going on in the in the kind of in the legal terms so actually you know yeah. kind of looking yeah. at that forensically I mean, the right protest was, was won by dissenters it was mm. won by the Salvation army in Whitchurch, in the town in which i was first a minister of the baptist church just down the road um that, that they gathered in their hundreds on this small town and said we're not leaving and then the right to protest bill went through parliament because the salvation army still went nope 
we want to go to worship in this way. Thank you very much. And and you know, it's it's from that this kind of Pentecost protest movement that even 1845, I think it was 1845, 1845 years later, the people of God are still inspired to stand up and go, no, actually, we're here and we're gonna we're gonna make a noise about it because this isn't good enough and we think society should be better. Mm. Mm. We've um, kind of reflected a little bit earlier on on mother tongue mm. as language, and we haven't really gone to Romans eight yet. And I'm I'm aware of time, so we don't have time to do it in depth. But I wonder if we need to kind of just nudge ourselves over to the kind of I, I always want to pick out a gender dynamic. If there's ever a gender dynamic, I want to pick it out. Um, but I, I guess what I want to say is something about this idea of the language of adoption and labouring going close together. And um, and something about uh, the idea that there's something being given birth to, and um, but also adopted. And that's something, it's an interesting interplay really with kind of, um, we might think of kind of, um, the language about there are no uh, there are no individuals um, anymore. There are only <laughs> there, there are only families, and I think mm, uh, well, I think in the church uh, we we've kind of adopted some of that ideology in a particular way. And here, the the language around families seems to be very muddled, and it's both 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 the adoption and also labouring for and groaning for something new. Um, yeah. And and it's kind of again, it's a very female image. And I just think yeah. um, again, thinking about who's preaching and what's going on here. Romans is a book that would have been read by Phoebe, and I would really want to make the point that um, whatever we might be comfortable with saying, Phoebe was a deacon or or a deaconess, and whether there's a difference there or not. But but Phoebe was also um, a huge, um, you know, she 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 was a huge financial backer. Yeah. And the idea is that she would have been a part of taking, if she was part of taking this message, she might have been part of forming the message. And actually it's interesting then, you've got some quite, um, what would have been considered kind of traditionally feminine kind of concepts around what it is to cry out for justice and 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 look to a new future and birth something new or adopt being adopted into something new and that actually that that play of language is is coming out of you know it will be spoken by a woman in, yeah. in the first century world where this would have been yeah, radical yeah. um so i guess i kind of want to just say there's something there as well in kind of picks up again on this theme of who is speaking and how are they speaking and how is it accessible and who is now being allowed in and and now she's a she's a wealthy woman we presume uh, but it's interesting isn't it that there she is named in the text having this role of preaching um alongside paul in that way yeah and, and, and i think you're right it does feel the text does feel a bit clumsy in terms of, of, of the kind of the, the adoption and the childbirth images all kind of mushed into one but I remember being at my at my son's birth and thinking this is the most holy and disgusting thing I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> it was the most holy moment I've ever seen and horrific in every, in every way. And and and, and the, the the advancement of justice is is horrific at times and is messy and is complicated and involves a lot of pain, um, usually from 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 women and usually from those who are marginalized and usually from those who aren't in the position of what we historically think of as power mm. um and and so where do we give the voice how do we give the voice and that, but more than that how do we assist you know i recognize that i'm a white male um who is british 
and so I'm in the upper echelons of of what of of of, of acceptability. Um, you know, I'm, I'm gay, so face some prejudice in the church, but not really in society as much anymore as as perhaps we really used to have done. But where do I use my privilege that to to enable that that the kind of messiness to be seen and to be heard, and to not be explained away and to not be put down, but to give the give voice to those who are going through the kind of messiness and the holiness. Um, yeah, and I think I think it's interesting also that um, sometimes we can reduce women to a role of birthing. Yeah. Um, and actually, it's interesting that adoption is also used in there. And that actually, there is this kind of ten with the tension of these two images together, maybe a way of saying it doesn't have to be that kind of, you know, the feminine looks like birth yeah. <laughs> or whatever. That um, actually, you know, that's not actually the defining image of what a family is. And it wouldn't have been then, actually, yeah. that you often would have been adopted as an adult. Yeah, yeah. That's very normal. So, so actually kind of this idea that, um, you know, these kind of conversation that's sort of just, you know, even in itself kind of assessing itself there. And I think I would, um, yeah, so I, I guess I would want to say let's not kind of boil it down to kind of like women birthing. Um, no, because actually for, for those women who can't birth, that's even more exclusionary. <laughs> but actually, but was, what is an interesting thing here is that actually there isn't only one of those images used, both are used. And I just think that was really empowering as well. Um, so, uh, yeah. There's a lot going on. It's enlarged and continues to be enlarged and should continue to be enlarged. And that's Absolutely. our job as church. Absolutely. Well, I think we've um I think we've done as a kind of rapid <laughs> read through these texts, um, a pretty good um a good set of questions, perhaps, that ask our preachers this week, even um even we haven't provided all of the answers, perhaps we've given some thoughts to people about where they might be able to begin and think and go. And so um really want to say, uh, Andy, thank you to you for bringing your wisdom and your passion and your uh, political party energy to the table. <laughs> um and we've really appreciated all that you've you've given us today. Um and um to all our listeners and um and followers and just to say thank you for the the thoughts that you bring and the dialogue that you have with us um as as this comes out each week it means that we constantly reflect and think ourselves and um as we're preaching each week it's really helpful to have your feedback and your thoughts so keep it coming uh use the hashtag politics in the pulpit and um join in if there's people particularly you'd like to hear on here please do let us know who that is um, so let's go into our politics and into our pulpit this week with a blessing. May we be anointed with God's Spirit as we bring good news to the poor, help proclaim relief to the captive, help people to see the world truthfully, and let the oppressed go free. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Andy. Thank you. <laughs>